It's Monday, July 10th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First, we go around America this morning for updates on the immigration crisis with stops in Texas, Florida, Illinois, and New York City, where I've got a story about a migrant woman that you need to hear. Second, some good news on the economic front. Gas prices are set to come way down. I'll tell you about that prediction in just a little bit. Third, we pivot to international news with Joe Biden heading to Europe, talking to allies about Ukraine, amongst other things. But he's taking some serious flack from fellow Democrats and allies alike, all about his decision on Friday to authorize cluster bombs for the war effort. I'll explain what those are and why we should care. Finally, we stay in Europe to discuss the political collapse of the government of the Netherlands. I'll explain how it speaks to a pattern of voters all throughout the continent growing pretty tired of leftist politics. Later, we close out the podcast with some comments that were made yesterday by the White House press secretary, all focused on affirmative action. I've got a response to what she had to say. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. From Texas to Florida, Illinois to New York, we have got a lot to cover on America's immigration crisis, which, just as a reminder, is a huge problem. There are upwards of 22 million illegal migrants living in the United States right now. So let's start first in Texas, where on Friday, Governor Greg Abbott began installing a 1,000-foot-long buoy system that'll float on the Rio Grande River. As reported by the Wall Street Journal and local press, This buoy system is made up of four-foot-wide individual balloon-like buoys that are chained together, and they make a a snake-like barrier. If you want to visualize this, they resemble those plastic floating kind of lane dividers in a pool. Well, when strung together, these things uh, create a barrier that slows or stops migrants. In fact, that is the goal. Governor Abbott said that migrants will either be intimidated by these barriers, in other words, too difficult to crawl up and over them, or they will slow migrants such that it'll give time for Texas and federal uh, border officials, rather, to prevent their entry. Now, if you're wondering what might prevent migrants from, say, swimming under the buoys, good point. Aha, they have a webbing that is attached under these buoys that drift all the way to the river bottom. For what it's worth, there is a lawsuit trying to stop the deployment of these buoys this morning. There is a a canoeing and kayaking business in Texas that says it's going to destroy their company. To which the governor tweeted out on Friday, quote, we will see you in court, end quote. I'll keep you posted on that in the days to come. From Texas, we go to Florida this morning, where the state's governor there, Ron DeSantis, is promoting a new law effective July 1st that says no illegal migrant can possess a Florida's driver license, nor will the state honor any other state's licenses for illegals. According to Reuters News Service, those other states include Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Rhode Island, and Vermont. Those folks that uh, issue these illegal uh, migrants a license, well, they have these specific markings on them that say not for federal identification or for driving privileges only. And if a migrant is caught with one of those in Florida while driving, they will now face citations and other penalties. 
Well, as you can imagine, a lot of folks are opposed to that. In fact, the president of Mexico is one, Mr. Lopez Obrador. He said on Saturday that, quote, criminalization is not the way to solve the issue of undocumented immigration. This measure of Florida's is inspired by xenophobic and white nationalist sentiments, end quote. Oh, boy. More to come on that. Next, we head to Chicago this morning where police officers there are under investigation for allegedly, well, having intimate relations with illegal migrants who had been housed in the police stations as a part of the city's efforts to take care of the illegals who are pouring into the Windy City. So here are those details as reported by the Washington Examiner with this quick background. Back on May 12th, I gave you a pretty in-depth deep dive into the issue of illegal migration. We started in Guatemala and ended up in rural New York State. And as I shared with you back then, the city of Chicago has been inundated with illegals coming over the border and into their town. Over 10,000 individuals currently housed in places like parks and school gyms and even police stations. And that has apparently, uh, well, caused a bit of an issue in the ranks. As as, uh, reported by the Washington Examiner, there has been an allegation made that at least four officers were engaged in um, acts of intimacy with at least one of the migrants who was housed in the 10th District Police Station, which was holding uh, 60 migrants in total. The uh, city of Chicago is investigating this allegation, while the union that represents uh, Chicago's police officers said late Friday that they have heard nothing about who is originating this claim or any details regarding the accusation. So they are unable to properly respond. Meanwhile, somebody else uh, is able to respond. Democrat representative in Chicago, Delia Ramirez, said, quote, these allegations should shake us to our core, end quote. There you are. I'll keep you posted on what appears to be a very fine mess coming out of Chicago. Finally, this morning, we go to New York City for an update that I shared with you last Thursday, and that is that the city's shelter system has just passed 100,000 people living in it, with over 50,000 of those being illegal migrants who are seeking asylum. And as I shared with you, the cost to take care of those migrants is now $8 million a month and rising. Now, to give you a sense of who these folks are, and the the impact it'll have on our country, I wanted to tell you about an Ecuadorian migrant. Her name is Natalie, and she shared her story with the New York Post over the weekend. And here it is. Natalie came to New York City about four months ago. She was flown there by the Biden administration using your taxpayer dollars to resettle her in a city of her choice. Well, she chose and landed in New York City, and she was pregnant. She also had with her two sons and a man that she said was her husband. A few days after her arrival, though, her so-called husband left her for another woman, and she hasn't seen him since. Natalie has since given birth. The child is now a U.S. citizen with the same rights as you, and she and her boys stay in a local hotel paid for by the city. Every day she leaves the hotel, and she leaves behind her boys, age 10, 13. They spend the day either roaming the streets, she said, or sticking around the hotel. Meanwhile, she goes off to the subway and she sells candies and food, which for folks unaware, that is illegal. You have to have permits for that and she is not able to get one of those. And that helps explain why her goods have been seized a few times. And she says, 
Local thugs and kids have been stealing her goods and cash as well. And that is the life of Natalie and her children this morning. Just four of the 50,000 illegal migrants in New York City today. With that, let me now pivot from facts and data to my analysis and opinion on this issue of illegal immigration this morning. And I want us to imagine that we are in the Oval Office and you are serving as our leader, imagining the totality of what we are seeing today. And not just today, actually, but over the long term. Right, Stepping back, we have tens of thousands of illegal, unemployed, unskilled, and increasingly bored humans who are sitting in hotels and police stations and on city streets this morning. Right? And they are going to be sitting there for years until their asylum applications are eventually heard. Uh, never mind the fact that data show that most of these applications will be rejected. Right? For now, these people sit. So my question to you, to everyone, is this. As all of these folks sit around doing very little to nothing, what happens to our cities? What happens when you fill them with kids like those who belong to Natalie, who have no dad, who are roaming the streets and the hotels filled with other equally bored illegal migrants? Well, I'll give you part of the answer. In fact, we have some early indicators the New York Post is reporting that migrant hotels are turning into hubs of crime and sex and drugs. Meanwhile, hotel workers reported to WABC News in New York that migrants that are supposed to be isolating for 21 days due to diseases, well, they are not isolating at all. They're getting bored or hungry and they just want to see the city. So they're leaving their rooms and mixing with others in New York despite orders otherwise. Folks, if I could put this a bit differently, we have not even started to see the fallout from this illegal migration crisis. We've got millions of illegals who have come across the border in the past couple of years, and now they don't have a lot to do. Fixing this is going to be one of the greatest national challenges, frankly, that I think that we have ever had. Now, we can do it. We can do it through, say, things like increased border protection, mass deportations, and cracking down on these sanctuary cities, to just name a few solutions. But it is fundamentally going to take new leadership at the White House to get it done. Because you can't fix a problem if you don't admit that there is one. And the current gentleman in the White House, based on the numbers and the rhetoric, simply does not admit that we have one. Otherwise, quite obviously, we wouldn't have 50,000 people like Natalie and her sons roaming the streets of New York City this morning. With that, how about we talk about some uh, good news, shall we? And this one is good for your pocketbook. Gas prices, they're going down with the expectations of $3 a gallon or less by late summer and into the fall. At least that's according to the chief petroleum analyst with the gas app that is called Gas Buddy. His uh, name is Mr. Patrick DeHaan. He said the prices should start falling both now throughout the fall as gasoline inventories build up and demand stays largely flat. Now, there could be a few things that would throw off his prediction. First, oil producers like Saudi Arabia have vowed to cut production. That, in turn, could bump up prices. Second, there's always the risk of damaging hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico, which would throw refineries offline for some period of time. But for now, things are looking pretty good on the gas front, and frankly, not a moment too soon. The Federal Reserve announced last week that savings accrued throughout the pandemic, especially from those stimulus payments, have been totally exhausted. So let's hope 
for both a light hurricane season and for those Saudis to just knock it off already with the production cuts. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. Enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners, my friends. Remembering that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or a service, then I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news. First, we start with Joe Biden's trip to Europe this morning. He's stopping in the United Kingdom for a quick chat with a king, then onwards to the Baltic country, Lithuania, to talk shop with other NATO countries. Then he wraps up in Finland for conversations with Nordic countries. In all three places, he is going to be talking about and indeed consumed by one major theme, that is the war in Ukraine. And one of the topics sure to be dominating headlines is Biden's approval on Friday of something called a cluster bomb or cluster munition. It was part of a new $800 million military aid package that the White House signed off on, which, by the way, if you're counting, takes us to $40 billion over uh, 42 different aid packages. But unlike other ones, this one is getting a lot of pushback, most especially from fellow Democrats and European leaders. So we're going to talk about why that is, all focused on cluster bombs. We're going to talk about what those are, why so many people are opposed to them, and perhaps most importantly, why Biden felt like he had to take this fairly controversial and dramatic step. So let's start with this. I want you to imagine that you've just fired a bullet. And as it approaches its target, I want you to imagine that the bullet comes apart and inside are dozens or even hundreds of smaller bullets, right? That is the essence of a cluster ammunition. Although the difference is that the bullet that we just fired in our minds, well, all those extra bullets turns into lots of bombs. Now, the benefit of this munition, of this type of munition, is that you get a wider spread of both death and destruction. In other words, a lot of bang for your munition buck. Plus, in the case of Ukraine, they can fire these munitions from the 155-millimeter howitzer cannons that we've already given them. But here's the problem. Dud rates. Right? As those little bombs drop out of the sky, not all of them explode. And then they sit. For years, decades even. And then kids or tractors or cattle step on them and otherwise disturb them at some point, sets them off. And it is for that reason that over 100 nations all around the world have banned cluster munitions with only a few countries still allowing them, such as the United States and Ukraine and Russia. In fact, Russia has been using these munitions for some time in the war, and that's why Ukraine has been insisting on having their own stocks for months. Well, on Friday, the White House agreed finally with Kiev, although they called it a, quote, very difficult decision, end quote, which raises the question, why did Joe Biden do it? Especially given the fact that so many nations are banning these things and so very much opposed. Well, as he told CNN, the Ukrainians are running out of ammunition, the 155 millimeter variety, and so too are we and the Europeans. And that's why Kiev is getting these other widely banned cluster munitions. Well, as you can imagine, this decision is not sitting well with a whole bunch of people. Democrats on Capitol Hill are saying that it crosses a red line. NATO countries like the UK, Spain, Germany, Canada, they are all outraged too. Ukraine, for its part, is saying something different. They're saying, thank you very much. 
and promising to use them with great care. In fact, Kiev's defense minister said over the weekend that they have adopted a set of five key principles for using these things, including not to use them in urban areas and, of course, not inside Russia, they promise. By the way, speaking of Russia, one thing that you should know, Russia's cluster munitions have a dud rate of around 30 to 40 percent. However, these things coming from America have a dud rate of around 2 percent. At least that is according to the Pentagon, so you can take that with a grain of salt. But even still, Biden has authorized hundreds of thousands of these cluster munitions. That's according to the Washington Post. So a dud rate of even 2% means thousands of these bombs will be in Ukrainian soil for years to come. With that, I'd like to pivot from facts and data this morning to my analysis and opinion on something that I think is pretty critical that we should step back and recognize. And that is this. Things are not going well for Ukraine or for the West. In fact, the Pentagon admitted as much on Friday. During a press conference, policy advisor Colin Cagle said this while explaining why the White House authorized these munitions. Quote, we want to make sure that the Ukrainians have sufficient artillery to keep them in the fight because things are going a little slower than some had hoped, end quote. And by uh, some had hoped, he means the White House and the Pentagon and all of Europe. In other words, things are getting a little bit desperate in the West, right? We thought that we would have Russia whipped by now with our 42 rounds of American aid, totaling $40 billion, plus more amounts of aid from Europe. But we don't have the Russians whipped. And we won't unless we start using more awful weapons, And so we are. And so too will Russia. Obviously, they're going to one-up this too. Now, I don't know what that looks like, but the point is that the spiral continues. Where it stops, nobody knows. And that is a pretty scary thing, I think, to think about this morning. And it's why I will be keeping an eye on this slow drip of escalation in Europe and will keep you posted as always. With that, let's touch on our final brief this morning, and that is a European continent that is full of political change. In fact, we're seeing a part of it in this story. The government of the Netherlands tendered its resignation on Friday night. In other words, meaning that a caretaker government is going to have to assume control of the country until new elections are held in the fall. So let's talk about what happened and why we should care not only in the Netherlands, but across Europe, because in fact, we are seeing this pattern occur again and again. First, let's start with what happened in the Netherlands with some quick background on three things that have been driving this now crisis in the Dutch government. We start with immigration. For weeks, the coalition government of the Netherlands, which is made up of four parties, had been debating amongst themselves about new rules that would guide asylum applications. And that's because 20,000 asylum seekers have been trying to get into the country for the past five years or so, with tens of thousands already there. And that number of people in such a relatively small country has led to a housing crisis with migrants sleeping outside in places like parks or otherwise cramped conditions. And that has led to a second part of the crisis, housing. 
According to the UK's Sunday Times, rents and mortgages in the country have been skyrocketing in no small part because of increased demand from these migrants. Plus, new housing developments have unfortunately either been canceled or delayed because of lawsuits brought by environmentalists. Right? They're trying to preserve more land to save the environment and slow carbon dioxide emissions. Which takes us to the third reason that the government has collapsed, and that is climate change. The Dutch government has promised to seize thousands of farms and ranches, slaughtering upwards of 15 million cows and pigs, because they believe that climate change is not only real and existential, but it is driven in no small part by those naughty cows and pigs. So the government and environmentalists believe that by getting rid of the ag industry and all the nitrogen and the carbon dioxide that they spread, they'll be doing their part to solve the climate crisis. Well, you put all this together, the migration crisis, the housing crisis, and the seizure of people's farms and ranches, well, you're going to get some pretty upset voters. In fact, so upset that a new party sprung up through that anger it's called the Farmers Citizen Union, or BBB in Dutch. And these people are very angry, and they're voting. In fact, in May, the BBB captured the most seats in the Dutch Senate than any other party. And that was a political earthquake that shocked leaders like the current prime minister who resigned his government on Friday. Now, here's what's interesting. This isn't just something we're seeing in the Netherlands. We are seeing very angry conservative voters rise up in France, Germany, Italy, Spain, and Finland too. And in each country, there are variations of what's driving the demand for change. But it is fair to say that voters are growing tired of leftist politics and they are voting in conservatives. In fact, we'll talk about that as the week progresses. And we will do that, folks, because of this. Europe is a major trade partner of the United States, right? If their governments change, then their economies might too. And that could very well affect factories and farmers alike in your hometown and mine. So we will unpack that, this idea of leaving the left, all this week. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report but I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this next break, remembering that if you don't hear my voice on these next messages, I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report, folks, with one more thing before I let you go. Just under two weeks ago, the U.S. Supreme Court issued a ruling that banned affirmative action in the admissions process for universities and colleges. I briefed you on that back on June 30th. Now, there's been a lot of debate since then, but yesterday, the White House press secretary, Akrine Jean-Pierre, said something a bit odd about that ruling. She was on MSNBC talking about the decision when she said about the White House, quote, we are going to say this is wrong. It is unprecedented taking away important constitutional rights that have been in place for a long time, end quote. And here's part of the reason why it is so odd for her to say that. A poll released over the weekend and taken after the ruling was issued showed that 59% of adults approved of the Supreme Court's decision on affirmative action. But here's the most interesting and frankly critical part. More black adults in this country approved of the ruling than disapproved of it. 
by a margin of 46% in favor of striking down affirmative action to 36% against. The point is that the White House is wrong on this one. It is they who are wrong on affirmative action. An overwhelming majority of the American people have made it very clear that affirmative action is not the appropriate tool for racial equality, including, and most critically, black and Hispanic Americans. Now, I don't expect the White House to acknowledge this poll or what it means to them politically, but at least now, you and I know. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.